Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You are listening to Process Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and a review on Apple Podcasts, but you can find us on all listening platforms, Spotify, TuneIn, etc., etc. You can follow us on Twitter and on Tapped at Process Potables, and on Instagram at Podcast Potables Network. Check out our other shows, Post Game Potables, our new pod that brings you immediate reactions following every Eagles game with myself, Steve, and our engineer extraordinaire and host of Power Bombs and Potables, Corey Oates. Speaking of Corey, make sure to check out his weekly recap of professional wrestling television, Power Bombs and Potables, and you can find them on Twitter at Power Bombs PPN. And our new MMA show has been killing it with Rob and Paul. That is called Punches and Potables. They are live-tweeting UFC cards. They are doing your recaps and previews for the biggest events in MMA and much, much more. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and much more, check out www.processpotables.com. Process Potables is on tap. Cheers, everybody. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to a brand new Process Potables. This is the first episode since the Sixers got swept by the Boston Celtics. Steve, do you even remember that at this point? No, shit, wait, I I didn't even realize we're talking basketball tonight. I mean, are we sure we want to go down that road? We don't want to talk about the big 3-0 union win last night? I mean, we, you know, if you've got anything (laughs) on that, feel free. But no, we are uh, unfortunately going to just unload... You know, weeks and weeks of built-up aggression and anger and frustration with the Philadelphia basketball team that, to this point, has not fired anybody from the front office, Mm. even though it did appear that initially after the season that seemed possible. Has not happened. We have a new head coach. We have several new of the same bullshit stories of needing to trade one of our superstars and how they can't play together. We've seen 800 god-awful trade machine proposals uh, some of the worst ones that I've ever seen in my life. And, I mean, all these things, you know, we've got some thoughts on them, but, you know, I wanted to bring in an expert, somebody who people may actually want to hear from because I'm, I'm really in my pessimistic, you know, uh, team, team Meteor. Is that the team we're on right now? Yes, hashtag Team Meteor. Hashtag Team Meteor has been our position for quite some time. So hopefully somebody that, that usually brings us a little bit of hope and – uh, can potentially talk us off the ledge and and really should have been brought into the front office this off season, but unfortunately was not. But we'll we'll keep you know pulling that string and oh yeah, seeing if we you know what any influence we have may come to fruition there. But we have Marty Teller joining us as usual, uh, recurring guest, one of our favorite guests, one of the most knowledgeable basketball guys that I've ever met. Marty, welcome back and congratulations on. Uh, you know, welcome to the digital world of podcasting, not having to drive all the way to my house to do so or, or meet us at a brewery on your free weekend time, uh, able to do this in the comfort of your home with, with a nice cup of coffee. And a really nice barn yeah. door in the background, I like to add. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots, my wife's jealous. Aesthetically pleasing, yeah. your, your backdrop, much more than us. 
Yeah, well, we have, I've got uh, two kids doing remote school and my wife's teaching remotely. So we all had to find our little uh, nooks and crannies in the house. So this one works pretty well for me. Yeah, the uh, the home renovation bug has definitely showed up in our house the past few <laughs> weeks with uh, being in here so long and kind of getting sick of how everything looked and was and the desire to just want change for the sake of it being that we normally didn't spend all that much time here prior to uh, the world falling apart, but let's not let's not dwell on that or anything. Uh, before we get into the Sixer stuff, I do just want to talk about what we're drinking here because it's been a while since we've really got to sit down and, and do much of anything like this. Usually after the Eagles games, we're so full from eating and drinking that at that point we don't really want to have another beer and talk yeah. about it, but I was ready to drink tonight. I stopped by our friends at Kelly Green Brewing to pick up an order that I placed last weekend. I was able to go over and pick up, I think I grabbed like five crawlers of some different stuff. They had a great deal where they had four for 44, but it was like a pre-made mix of four crawlers. The one we're drinking tonight is called Subtle as a Dagger. It is a 7.1% IPA. It is a bright and refreshing IPA drop uh, dry hopped with a heavy dose of cashmere with pineapple juice added. Notes of mm. tropical and citrus fruits are evenly balanced on a smooth body made of pilsner and white wheat. So... This is a lot lighter than we're used to drinking. Normally, we're drinking a lot of New England IPAs, you know, the Hazy Boys, the Juicy Boys, or double IPAs. This it tastes really light, like a nice, like, 4 or 5% session yeah. or summer beer. But like I said, 7%. So this feels like one that could sneak up on you a little bit. Uh, I already, earlier, I had their, uh, they have a New England IPA that clocks in around 9%, and I hadn't eaten dinner. Ooh. And I only drank, I think I drank probably like 16 of the 32 ounces I had of it, and then I shared the rest with uh, two of my buddies I was out with. And, like, I was driving home, and I was like, I've never actually felt, like, buzzed off 16 ounces of beer. Like, you know, like maybe like a Bourbon County Stout or something, but I would well, never even drink 16 ounces of that. You know, yeah. I'd have like eight or something. But I was driving, and I'm like, this is a little a little worrisome. Like, you know, nothing, nothing dangerous, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's really good, and I can't think of a beer I've had recently or even ever at all where the name perfectly describes the, the taste of the beer. Great point. Didn't even yeah. think about that. Yeah, Subtle as a Dagger. Subtle as a Dagger, yeah. Yeah, great point. Yeah, very very opt name for this beer uh, being that it, it definitely will sneak up on you <laughs> and give you the business if you're not careful. But, yeah, you definitely taste the pineapple. You get kind of like a piney uh, you know, floral type of aftertaste and stuff, but very smooth, very nice, very refreshing. So thanks, Kelly Green, for the hookup. I'm really excited because the one beer I really wanted from them and wasn't able to get the first time around, and I was able to get it this time, is they have a uh, blue snow cone sour, Ooh. and that's up in the fridge. I don't, I don't know when we're going to – I got to save that one for a bit more of a special occasion, but can't leave it too long. I don't think that that's one that will age very well. And we so. need to learn how to make snow cones so we can use a blue snow cone to make a snow cone. What? What? <laughs> you lost me. All right. So anyway, so Marty's got his coffee. We've got our beer. Let, let's dive right in. There. So Marty, you had a lot of things you wanted to talk about, but I had mentioned to you first that we have not you know, done an episode since the playoffs ended. Me and Steve really just kind of decided, you know what? Like that was so toxic that we don't need to talk about it. Nobody probably wants to hear us talk about it. And even, you know, personally as best friends, we didn't really discuss it all that much. We kind of just, you know, wiped that from our memories. And the one thing I'll say to that, that I found interesting that isn't actually related to that, that series specifically is that I do think that it gave me a much 
better feeling retrospectively and, you know, nostalgically about the past two playoff runs and how even though we, you know, didn't get the results we wanted out of either, that, boy, like, at those times each year, we thought that they were bad. But, boy, like, a first-round sweep to Boston when you look that fucking terrible is is a world that I never expected to really see with the stars that we have. What, what were kind of your, you know, what what kind of emotions did you go through the, the hours and days and even potentially weeks following that series, Marty? So, so here's, like, my first question to you guys. So you kind of maybe already answered my question, but you said you haven't really thought about the Sixers. Like, we're obviously Sixers nuts. You know, you have your podcast. I've been on it a bunch of times. I talk with people, you know, almost every every day, not as much uh, as often anymore. But what would be, like, your passion level right now on the Sixers? Like, I would say, you know, generally I was probably, like, at an 11 on a scale of 1 to 10. Before I give you my answer, like, where would you be at on a scale of 1 to 10 right now in terms of your passion about the Sixers, your your level of care? The, the worst part about it, and both of you can probably vouch for me, is even when it was pretty clear this team wasn't really going to make any noise, I still kept telling people that, that you know there was a decent chunk of me that just believed that somehow they would figure something out, and that didn't mean win a title. But I still felt like every team in the East, if you put them in a seven-game series, they would have at least made it interesting. And I look like such a moron in hindsight with that. And like I think that might have been what hurt me the most and really made me need to take a break and step away. Um, and I say step away a, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I mean, clearly we still read a lot of things and, and evaluate a lot of things. And, and I'm, you know, like I cannot log off of Twitter or anything. So I'm always seeing discussions about things. I just really haven't had the energy to engage so much right now. Being that, you know, the finals are, are probably over Friday night and there will actually be a period of no basketball. And I still don't know, you know, what the Sixers can or will do. I mean, right now, my, I guess enthusiasm level or you know passion for this team is probably at you know a four out of ten I would say, and that's a combination of you know the process proved that we can get behind a team of no names and misfits and enjoy a team that isn't going to win anything, but when the team is this much of a cluster and it doesn't seem like there's a light at the tunnel anymore, and that you know in my opinion, which I'm sure we'll kind of evaluate you know, at a more micro level as we go on through this episode. But, you know, I'm truly of the belief that, you know, we're going to evaluate options and things they can potentially do. But one, I think most of them are always going to be more optimistic than what could or will happen. And I just truly don't think that there's anything that they're going to be able to do big picture to really write this shit before it requires them to probably tear it all down and do it again. So it's really hard right now to get excited for anything other than to just like enjoy Joel Embiid for who he is, like things like that. Like, you know, you love these guys, you love these players. I love Joel. I love Ben Simmons, but you know, it's, it's a lot harder to just love them as people when you realize that they're not going to really be bringing you any joy as far as team success. Steve, where do you stand? Um, I'm at a zero. Come and on. maybe Doc Ooh. Rivers brought me to a one. You're not just there. because you, you know what it is, man. I just you, you talk about how toxic it was after the sweep and the playoffs ending like that. I needed a detox from basketball, man. Just the strangeness, 
that is with this season, how this team was constructed, with the COVID suspension, you know, returning to play. You know, they looked good for the most part during that was eight or ten game stretch, you know, playing games, and then just to go out like that, just... I think it was only, like, like two through five they looked pretty good, and then it was... Okay, yeah, that sounds right. And, and like, I was just... it By game two, I was like, all right, we're we're probably going to get swept. This is really going to suck. It's almost like the different stages of grief. Like, I was, like, depressed and sad. And then, like, when a game four, you know, came and went, they lost. I was like... You accepted it. Like, I'm accepted (laughs) Thank God it's over. And, like, dude, honestly, I haven't even really watched basketball at all because it's just like, you know, you, you watch the Sixers lose and then you go on Twitter and everyone's like, oh, we made a mistake and trade him Jimmy Butler. I'm like, you know, I, I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm, I'm not going to participate. And I don't fault anyone for doing that. But I said I, I just kind of need to walk away. And, of course, you know, I go on Twitter, check ESPN, whatever, read a lot of articles and stuff. But I just, like, I was – it's just not only as a Sixers fan, but as a basketball fan, just really pissed me off. And yes, that's partly me being a poor sport, but that was know. one of that was one of the biggest takeaways for me too. Is I I love watching basketball, even if it's not the Sixers, like football and basketball. I can watch any team almost any night. And I think for like a week after, I was still fairly invested in a lot of games and series, but like I did not watch nearly as much of the second and third rounds as I normally would and I didn't consciously mean to it just became like you know a couple of days after when it really sank in and you're seeing what some of the other teams are doing you're you're seeing Boston move on obviously against us you see Jimmy Butler and the Heat heating up and uh pun intended and you know eventually like i think my body just kind of disassociated and forced myself to take a break and i kind of came back around for the finals and have been paying pretty close attention to them but that was also like just knowing that you know these are the last 4 to 5 games you're going to get before it goes away yeah. for a while and who knows you know what's going on with next season still so i kind of you know went down in that ditch and then dug myself out of it right at the end just to get a, a little uh you know, sliver of it before it went away completely. What about you, Marty? So I don't think I'm as low as you. I was not expecting you guys to say <laughs> numbers. I thought you'd be Steve, a little bit Steve's higher. definitely fucking with us a little bit, but we're, we'll let him have it. Okay, I'm at a two and a half. Okay, <laughs> all right. I'm probably at like a like a six, a six or a seven. I actually had the opposite kind of um, reaction post post sweep. Just I kind of got invested into really watching the other teams and spending a lot of time just kind of looking at the way other teams play and who they play through and, you know, kind of like their defensive schemes and just really kind of looking like on a kind of like non-fan basis, right? Like we're always looking at through like the eye of a Sixers fan. And, you know, I did the like, you know, Zach Lowe, uh, Kevin O'Connor thing where I like pretended I wasn't a fan and just like actually watch the game. And you definitely take a lot away. You know, one thing I'm watching right now at the Lakers is, Dude, AD and LeBron are just on a different level of superstar, right? Like, if you put Danny Green, KCP, and Rondo on the Sixers, dude, that team stinks. Yeah, yeah. That team stinks. Right? And so, like, that's one thing I think I've kind of come to realize. And I know it's been brought up before, but, you know, Joel and Ben are are really good players, right? They're all-stars. But, like, dude, they are not superstars yet, man. Like, they are not at the level where – you know, and can they get there? Like, of course. Like, I definitely think that as a Sixers fan, as a basketball fan, no doubt they both have a level they can get up to to be that. But they are not that now. And it kind of makes you, 
I don't, I'm not trying to give any credit to the front office, but it makes you get like kind of see how, you know, they, they did rush it. They rushed it, but they wanted to, they knew to win, to win it all. They were really going to have to surround these guys with, you know, not just role players, but like, you know, all stars or right. cost all stars or, you know, really good players. And it just kind of backfired, man. And, you know, I don't think, you know, the Horford thing was a disaster. Um, the Tobias thing, I know we're like all like Tobias guys. I mean, obviously, like, you don't, you wish you weren't paying him that money. Although, like, it doesn't really matter if you understand, like, the way the cap works. Right. But, yeah. You know, either way, you know, jo- dude, the Josh Richardson thing is like, I've been spending a lot of time on that lately. If you've been like following me, like, dude, something is weird. Like, something definitely went wrong. The guy was shooting six and a half threes a game in Miami last season. Two years in a row, almost 39% catch and shoot on like 650 attempts. And then last year he shoots four and a half attempts per game. And is that like below 35%? I mean, I can, so, tell, I can answer that question for you. <laughs> it, it goes back to Joel Embed. I mean, there's just no natural offensive flow with either of them on the court because they're so unique. And that's kind of one of the things that it makes it difficult to imagine them being at that next superstar level is that they just don't. They're not adaptable. They're not really flexible, and they require other people to really play out of you know the a normal basketball rhythm as a result of being on the court with them. I mean that that's what so, I would chalk so, a lot of it up to. So Dan, I, I think you're exactly right, and someone really smart, I, you know Chris Chris Lewis, who Chris Lewis at Chris Lewis tweets. I mean, yep. probably you know you think you think I'm a good basketball mind. I think Chris is no Chris phenomenal. is great. Chris is great too. And every time you guys have a thread, I'm 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 deep. <laughs> deeply uh, immersed in it. He, he brings up some good points. There's a couple other folks that bring up uh, good points, but one of the things I think he said, maybe somebody else said was, um, you know, to what degree does like Joel's like offensive contribution come at the detriment of like his teammates, right. you know, the overall yeah. offense. And I think there's like some real validity to that, that, you know, and I don't, dude. I don't have really strong opinions on Doc Rivers. Like, I think it was a good hire. I, I don't, I don't know that there was a better hire that they could make right now. But you know, he's not a magician, man. He's not, you know, pop. He's not, you know, they didn't dig up um, what is the old uh, Red Red Arbach. Like, you know, he is who he is. Yeah. You know, I think he can help. But it's, it's, dude. It's gonna be, it's gonna be Joel and Ben, or one of them at least, deciding that they're gonna be superstars and, and changing their games and doing things that. You know, it's it's easy for Joe, right? It's becoming a better passer, becoming less focused on like post dominance and extending his game a little bit. And you know, one of the things with him is this whole like shooting threes, not shooting threes. I don't like shooting threes, dude. Where Joel affects the game is on defense. And if he can launch more threes and be like, honestly, it's so so simple, but be that much closer to getting back on big, yep, and setting their defense. Right there is like a six point improvement overall you know, from the team, if they just get him to do that and stop playing, you know, slowing the game down and playing so much to the post. And so, you know, yeah, he's going to have to put up with like Barkley and Shaq, like ridiculing that, but who cares? Like who gives a shit? Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about his, I mean, I think that the three point thing back and forth, I don't think anybody has a real understanding of what he actually thinks about it, but it's very clear watching him play that a lot of the times, especially when he's you know nicked up a little bit, that he really doesn't have much interest 
on a good number of your possessions on going anywhere inside the arc because he knows he has to get back. And whether you think he's out of shape or lazy or hurt or some combination of whatever, I mean, the evidence is there that there's something that keeps him from just being willing to go up and down the court that much. And I, I don't, you know, whether you blame him for that or not, that's not my point. But if you can utilize him there more, and that doesn't have to just be shooting. I mean, he's a pretty good screener. You can do more things like that. Uh, Doc has already come out and said he wants to get him at the elbows, and I'm fine with that because we've seen him have mid-range success. And one of the things he doesn't do that so many other bigs do that I feel like he would definitely be capable of because he has a little bit of a handle, he has incredible footwork, is, you know, being that, like, rim runner kind of guy. Like, set the screen, and if that lane is there, just drive straight. One of the worst parts about his entire offensive package is that he basically exclusively works from one side of the floor And he has the baseline as an extra defender on pretty much every offensive possession of his. He's just limiting what he's able to do, and he's making it easier on the defense to take him away. I think if you were able to get him to operate in the middle of the floor more, you could get so much more out of him and out of other people. And you open up that extra corner where a lot of guys are better shooters from. This team requires three-point shooters to shoot so many from the top of the arc. And if you look at the average NBA player and just like shot charts across the league, the highest three-point percentage is always consistently the two corners. And where Embiid posts up most of his possessions, there's not really enough room over there to utilize that corner. And he's not good enough to hit the other one really from there. It takes an extra pass to get there, and by then a defense yeah. recovers. So there, there's a lot of things that, that I've you know studied in his offensive game that they're not things that can't be fixed, but they definitely have to come from a different half-court situation, and they have to come with a, a willingness of him to understand that he may not be getting all the touches he was getting, and I do think that Doc Rivers, one, won't be afraid to take possessions away from him, and two, won't be afraid to ask him to do something else, and if he isn't, it's not going to be where Brett Brown you know, would ask these guys to do something when they didn't. He would still go and defend them publicly. I think Doc would be like, listen, I- I'm telling him to do this, and, and he doesn't want to do it, and that's a problem, and you know that's not a great situation for us, but I don't think we're going to be wondering, oh, is it Doc? Is it Joel? Yeah. Like, I think we're going to have a clear understanding of what's going on with Doc as our coach at least, and I'm excited for that. That was a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and one thing that's interesting – you keep hearing it over and over again. I feel like almost every game last season, they love bringing up in the broadcast how Embiid led the league in post-ups. And then, you know, between that and then, like you said earlier, Marty, with, you know, Shaq and Barkley, like, oh, get your ass in the paint, take advantage of mismatches. Well, he still did all of that. And like you said, you know, you have to wonder him, you know, not playing the top of the key as much, trying to get inside, getting all these post-ups, like that takes away from other opportunities that other people can on the team. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, one of several reasons why someone like a Josh Richardson just wasn't getting, you know, the same amount of shots as he was in Miami the year before. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys actually really covered that pretty well. Um, It makes a lot of sense. And like you watch somebody like KCP, have the success he's been having in the finals. And it's like, dude, there's no reason Josh Richardson can't do that. And yeah, is there some things that jo- that Doc needs to like get him to, you know, uh, stop doing like AKA dribbling? Like, yeah, you know, it's gotta be like, stop hesitating. Like, I don't know if it's like taser guns or like what, but like, <laughs> please like Tobias, like Josh, like seriously though, just stop head faking. Like everyone on the team, Joel, like stop head faking. 
catch the ball and shoot the ball. Yeah. Like that's got to be a drill. It sounds so simple, but like, that's literally got to be a drill whenever they get back into the gym for, you know, uh, training camp. It's just to let them fly. Cause I, and I don't know what will happen to Josh and we'll talk about it, you know, whether, you know, they look to move him just because of the contract situation, their fear of like inability to replace him. I guarantee you he'll go somewhere else if he does and, and be successful. Well, that was going to happen anyway. Yeah, that, that's how it works yeah. here. But no, I, under, I understand it's, what you're saying. It's, it's what's going to happen. A team will unlock them and say, hey, listen, we need to just shoot eight threes a game. We need to just stand over there. And listen, if they close out really hard and if you made a couple, yeah, go ahead and put it on the deck. But, you know, your first five shots got to be threes. And he'll do that. And all of a sudden, he'll be in Houston or Dallas or someone like that. And it'll be like, oh, man, how are the Sixers so stupid to get rid of this guy? And I'll be like, because he didn't use them right. Yeah, I mean that that's inevitable either way. But no, I mean I completely agree with you in that regard. B- before we get into players, because I'm sure that's going to be the majority of this. So I know you said you don't have strong opinions on Doc Rivers, but you have have you done like any research on him? I mean, just give us like a a, a general thought on the hire and, I mean, and if there's anything you're you're looking forward to from him. I mean, uh, there's been a couple good articles. I know Newbeck had a good one. Um, there was one or two others. Uh, Tom West from Liberty Ballers had a really nice write up. Um, you know, he brings a philosophy, he brings an offensive philosophy, you know, and what, what it does seem like is he is flexible, right? So he doesn't come in and just say like, this is what we're going to do. Um, and I think you kind of heard that in his press conference. Like ideally he's going to look at what he has, whatever it ends up being, you know, we'll see what changes get made and say, this is how we can be most successful. And I think that's his biggest task is one you know, simple, get these guys to play hard every night, be focused defensively because that's really, again, no matter what moves they make, this team being the only way this team is, is anything worth, you know, considering as a championship contender is if they're a top three defense in the league. Right. But the other thing that matters is having a half court offensive identity. Right. So, you know, we don't, we're not going to find a Jamal Murray. We're not going to have Jimmy. We don't have Jimmy Butler. It's not going to look like that. So, it's probably movement with shooters, right? And having someone that can create at least a little besides Ben. Um, and, and that's what it'll be. It'll be a lot of like movement and being big and strong. And, you know, Tobias has to learn how to like draw fouls. Like, you know, that's something he has to work on this summer. I mean, people talk about the threes, but with, with in my mind, the size of that guy and the mismatches he has on a nightly basis, it really is inexcusable he's not getting to the line five times a game. It really is. I mean, you know, anyone that, like, goes up to Tobias should, like, thank him for being, like, a great guy and be like, hey, we are happy you're here in Philadelphia despite what you might think, but you got to get to the line five times a game. Like, that's just, like, how you should, like, end, end your dap up with him. Just, like, please, please. Like, you can practice that. You yeah. know, use your body. Um, but, but back to Doc, I mean, dude's got almost, like, a 600, you know, winning percentage. Um he's really only had a couple of like really bad years, even like in the beginning with Orlando, he's had success. And I feel like he's in that sweet spot where, you know, he, he's not in his sixties yet. You know, he's not, you know, I think like too old, you know, so to speak. Oh, not but at he all. Has so much, he has so much, he's 58. He's so much experience. And I do think it matters in the NBA, right? Like at, at this juncture, it's, it, he just, of the people who are available to me, you know, again, I don't want to give any credit to the front office, but to me, he was he was probably the most logical and best hire they could make. Yeah, I agree. I, I was really unsure how I felt about all the coaching stuff. Me and you talked a lot early on after the exit about Stan Van Gundy, and it felt like he was almost on a, 
you know, media tour trying to get this job, but none of the reports ever really seemed to make him into a legitimate candidate. I don't even know if he's act- actively looking to coach, to be honest, because he hasn't. With really the benefit been of hindsight, that was just all to get you know more clout and followers on Twitter. But I it, I mean, he literally <laughs> as soon as they were out, he was on every fucking yeah. medium you could find, mainly talking about the Sixers. It's true. Yeah, it, I, I agree with you. It, I mean, it was very again, strange. The interest in Stan, again, was just like he had a system. You know, I, I think that was like what was attractive to me. And, you know, we've seen it work. And we've seen it work even though it was a decade ago. Like he made it work in in, um, in Orlando with, with Dwight and like shooters around him and, you know, kind of like a weird like Richard Lewis and Hito Turkoglu. And, yeah. Um, Fun team you know, so I just thought like there were there were some parallels that you know I wouldn't have been against it you know as long as he didn't have and the same thing with Doc as long as they didn't have any like I'm sure they'll have some say in personnel but as long as they weren't like titled you know yeah you know, executive of basketball operations or something yeah no I agree but then when it got to like Ty Lue and it came to uh, Mike D'Antoni like Ty Lue I was okay with mainly because I know mm-hmm. I mean he's won and he's coached. I mean, obviously, like, the biggest star with LeBron, so he's dealt with the egos and the personalities, and there's that, you know, one story about him confronting LeBron and how LeBron, you know, really respected him for that or whatever. So that one I was fine with. D'Antoni, I mean, I like him as a coach, and I like his system, but it wouldn't work here. So that would have obviously been scary because of our lack of roster flexibility and us not having the pieces to do what he does, so... It was one of those things like, man, I wish he could coach here, but I don't want him to coach here now because of, you know, yeah. obvious reasons. And then when it, when Doc was like, you know, finally outed and I didn't think he was going to get fired, it was like, okay, this guy has won in multiple places. He has coached plenty of big names and I don't know I don't know him for having like this one specific thing that he forces down anybody's throat. He's had very different teams that have always had success. So I feel like he's the best combination of, you know, big name has handled egos and stars and has, you know, built programs around what he has successfully enough that like those check all the boxes. I think we have to have to make the best of what is ultimately a a kind of bad situation. And and I think too, like don't discount how weird next season is going to be still like, it's not going to be, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to play with fans. I mean, it's it's going to be weird. The travel situation will be weird. They're going to be quarantining. Like, again, would I be open to a new voice? You know, Becky Hammond's like, that's great. Like, Darvin Ham, you know, yeah, it would be cool to, like, give that a try. And, you know, very boomer robust and, and kind of the attitude a lot of Sixers fans have had, like, upside, upside, upside. But, dude, sometimes a steady hand, you know, is the way to go. And I just yeah. think with how next season's going to be, um, you know, in terms of, like, just kind of just keeping the ship on track and hey like you're seeing it now in the nfl like rescheduling games and like just craziness like you know the vaccine's a ways away and i would venture to guess that you know we're um going to see the season start before that's you know really accessible oh so, absolutely i don't know i just i just think like that's something that you know and again how important should sports be to us with like all this going on like that's a question for like another day but yeah i mean um, that's that was one of our things for a while on whether we should even like i think we kind of we weren't doing these as often because we definitely were caught up in that and you know we were you know trying to not steer conversations away from those things and then we made it a point to address those things on here as well but you know at the same time i mean the the stuff does exist people are consuming it and, and whatnot so 
you know, it, right. it is here, and you know, that, that's that's what we have and, right now. <laughs> right, and it's it's the reality, and you're either going to like accept the results of the finals, or you'll put an asterisk on it in your mind. Like, you know, I don't, I really don't care. <laughs> but again, like, I do care about the Sixers as a team. You know, I, I love and like, you know, I want to see them succeed. Before we like think about 2021, I have one more like kind of question comment, but just something that like maybe this will bring your guys' spirit up a little bit. Like the thing with this Boston sweep that I, I, everyone kind of just seems to forget is like we didn't have like we would all agree Ben Simmons is the Sixers' second best player, right? Like by yes. a wide margin. Yes. I mean he didn't he didn't play. <laughs> like, right. Like yeah, dude, it sucked getting swept. And do I think they probably should have been more competitive? Sure. But, I mean, you know, whether you think, like, Jalen Brown or, or Tatum or even Kemba's, like, the second-best player on the Celtics, like, you take one of those guys off, like, I don't know. I, I don't think the Celtics' depth was that great. They play well together as a team for sure. But, I mean, I, I just think that that gets, like, pretty, over, like, overlooked and, like, lost over. Like, oh, they were embarrassed out. Like, well, they, you know, they, they were missing their second-best player. And who, and who would have guarded the Celtics' best player? Yeah, I yeah. mean, the, the two things I would say to that and – I said a little bit tongue in cheek, especially the first one is, you know, Jimmy Butler won a game with Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic out against the Lakers in the finals. Our team should have had the talent to win one fucking game against Boston. Yeah, but absolutely. Absolutely. But the other other thing I I would say um, only really because you kind of made, I don't know if this was exactly your point. Maybe I'm taking it a bit out of uh, what you meant, but. If you're saying, you know, remove like a, uh, you know, whoever you want to say Boston's second best player is, I mean, they were, they were, they were well more equipped to handle any loss than we were. And I truly believe even if we had been and you took away one of their like, you know, three better players in Brown, Tatum and Walker, that it's still probably a difficult series. And I still don't know if they win just because like for some reason but, they just but, seem to have a number but, on but us. How, but why though? Because we, we beat the Celtics, Celtics three out of four times. I know. And, that, and that's what was yep. giving me hope. I, I think it was mainly like, I just never thought Joel in the bubble was really where he needed to be. Uh, Tobias and Josh definitely like, Josh, like when we got to the final three games of the bubble, I felt like he really was struggling. I mean, Tobias was basically struggling the entire time. Uh, Tobias was one of the biggest things for me. And and again, we've all said we're we're kind of on his team, but uh, I don't think he ever really looked right coming back. There's just a lot of things against him. I think a lot of the Celtics players, for the most part, looked pretty strong coming back from the... uh, from the quarantine. I think, you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm not trying to, like, make excuses. No, no, not at all. I'm just trying to, like, be realistic in the fact that, you know, once the six, you know, the team is going to be built around Ben Simmons and MB yep. going forward, you know, at least at least one more year, you know, who knows, you know, after that. But, you know, so, uh, unfortunately, like, if one of them is to go down next year before the playoffs, like, we're not going to, like, go to the finals. Next, like, it, it just won't happen. So, you know, you're right. Like, we shouldn't have gotten swept. Like, there's still enough talent to, like, be competitive with Boston. And I think some of those games, you know, were competitive. Like, oh, there was one game I know we had to lead in the fourth. So, I don't know. Like, we're a results-oriented society for sure. You know, we get into, like, process versus results. And, then, you know, I, I think I think it, the sweep looks worse than it, than it was in some ways, just given all the circumstances, given how, like, it, it did. You're right. Like, it did look like some of our guys, like, you know, Matisse was doing the vlog, and, like, that was cool. But, like, I, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know, like, how pumped everyone was to be there. I know, like, every team wasn't super stoked, but it did seem some teams came together 
you know, sort of used it to like come together. And I don't know, man, like you watch some of like Matisse's videos, like some guys like just were never on there. It's like, well, were they just like not around? Like, yeah. I don't know. It just yeah. seems other teams use it as a chance to like bond together. And the, there, really. there was a lot of weird stuff. The last thing I would say about that Celtics series, because I definitely don't want to fucking talk about it anymore, is even the games where we had leads, like any time in that series, even when we led, it didn't feel like we were. It didn't feel like we deserved it. Like even in those instances, I I can remember vividly looking back and being like, you know, like watching every time being like, how are we winning and knowing like it wasn't sustainable? Like it just felt like even if when we had those runs, it wasn't really so much about the Sixers playing well for spurts. Is more like okay, like Tatum went fucking ice cold, which he's known to do, and as soon as he just gets back to you know, the, the median, this one's over. And that generally is what happened. So it felt like any success right. we did have again, you know, no Ben Simmons and everything, but it felt like any little success we did have in those four games felt more of Boston, you know, falling off for a little bit than it did the Sixers really having any kind of idea of how to win. And I was going to right. add more about that series, but I'm starting to feel a little nauseous now. Yeah, I'm as, some, as yeah, someone I'm who gonna, used gonna, to be gonna, passionate gonna, and love the Sixers. Well, um, <laughs> so Marty, you gave us three guys. Well, uh, I have three guys here. I think they're kind of three guys we all want to talk about that Sixers fans float around a lot. I want to talk about just like their fit in general, and then like we can talk okay. about the player, their fit, and then we could talk about what a trade package might look like, and then move to the that, next that player. Was- yeah, that was going to be my question. Was let, let's do that. Let's do that. And then I, I was going to ask Steve, kind of like, okay, Steve, you're the GM. Like, what what's like the first call you're making this summer? What what's yeah. like your goal? This summer? So, let's so, yeah, let's let's talk about the guy. Hold hold let's that question. The, the, the one thing I want to ask you before we get into any of this, because it kind of will tie into this, but it's also something that. Uh, for for some reason, came up in conversation to me uh, a few times this week, and and I was kind of firing off some tweets yesterday that got uh, some some laughs, some uh, some loves, and, and some hate. But Marty, right now, like not looking at any particular trade package, just kind of looking at Sixers assets as a whole. Like, where do you value a Matisse Stiebel? And like relative to to like what his draft position was, like let's say it's last year. And what was he like the twenty first, twenty second pick, something like that? Yeah, you know, well, like twentieth or twenty first. And and you know, kind of just. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know if you're a big draft guy. Neither of us really are. But I mean, at this point, do you even think that his value exceeds if you were just given that same pick this year? And like, where do you kind of do you see him? You know, are are you fine with him as a trade piece? Do you think that he has value as a trade piece, or do you think that there's more value in the Sixers holding on to him? What, what's kind of your impression of Matisse after his first year? Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. So I'll answer, I'll try to go in order. I think that he is more valuable than the 21st pick this year. So I think in most teams, because he has three years left on his deal, depending on who you're trading with, I mean, that that's obviously a part of it, but depending on who you're trading with, um, I would, I, my guess would most GMs would choose him over the 21st pick. So if you're ranking Sixers assets, um, I would have that over 21, but, but the best asset would be to bet on the Sixers' dysfunction. And that would mean taking a future, like, fairly lightly protected pick. So 
you know, that's, that's what will get the Sixers. You know, everyone's like, oh, they don't have any assets left. But they, they kind of do. They have all their picks. Yeah. Um, they, they definitely have enough assets to do stuff. You know, will they go into the um, – will they have to dip into their future picks? Yeah, if they, they will. But that's what most teams do. I mean, look at, like, you know, the Clippers, the Rockets, the Lakers. Like, right. look what their future picks look like. I mean, you know, if you weren't really going to, like, keep, keep going after this, I don't even, I don't really care. Like, you know, I don't, I don't even know if we're going to be alive here on earth in five years. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I, you know, and honestly, like this, you know, the steep and rule sort of protects you as long as you don't get into like doing goofy stuff, like where you're doing pick swaps in between each year. Like you trade a 2023 and a 2025 first and do top four protected or even like a top one. Yeah. I mean, it could backfire, but like, I don't know if you're bad in 2024, you'll be bad in 20, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you'll, you'll get a top pick. So my point is, is that, you know, when people talk about like assets, like that's the asset that, you know, a good GM is going to be like sniffing around if you're trying to get a really good player. Um, and then just as far as like what I trade Matisse, like, yeah, in the right deal, sure. Um, I just be careful. Like, dude, they don't have many ways to improve with their cap situation. And so, right. That's, you know, it's part. not great. It's, it's not great, but you know, Furcon and Shake and Matisse have all displayed like, I think to some degree they're basket like they're NBA players. Like that's basically your bench. Yeah, and so, you you need you them know, because of their contracts. Yeah. So like I just would you know, to me it's not just something where I'd be like, Well, we got a match contract. Like, you know, to me that's Zaire. And I know everyone's like, Don't give up on Zaire. Like, dude, I don't want to give up on Zaire. I would love Zaire to, you know Yeah, but he's the guy to make the money work. Yeah. But yeah, if you're gonna make the money work, like to me, and I, I've heard people argue the other way, like, well, he's younger than Matisse and he's got more upside. It's like, guys, he hasn't played a minute basically in yeah. two years. Like, it, it, you could be right, but you know, you're gonna have to choose one. And uh, Zaire actually makes a little bit more money, so he he, help, he helps make a few more deals work. So, I, you know, that's a long way of saying, like, yeah, of course I would trade Matisse. He's not untouchable right. by any means, but I want I want to look at him as like, well, let me match salary with him. It would be like. Here's your asset, right? Like, yeah, for like, sure. Well, we need an asset. Then, then this is your asset. You're not getting a first. You're not getting, you know, the rights to Mitchick or something like that. Right. No, and I'm with you. I mean, even as I try, I mean, I'm not even. I've never tried to be down on him because I love the kid. Uh, but I think I've been more realist about him than a lot of people. And, and obviously, so, I mean, I'm, you know, we're all guys that kind of really analyze this stuff. More people are, you know, you know. They take their fandom over the the reality sometimes, and that's fine if that if that's your prerogative. But um, I'm just not. I definitely don't have him untouchable. I would definitely move him for the right deal. But again, again, I view him as like you know he might be the reason that I'm getting out of you know giving a first like that. That's how I would look at him. And if if it comes to that, it comes to that. But you're right. I mean, protecting you know 2023 and 2025 picks a little bit seems much better overall because you keep a guy that you can play right now, you can definitely play him, and you have no idea what anything's going to look like later anyway. And especially with a guy like Embiid, whose timetable is definitely shorter, you have to imagine, than most guys. Like, you, you, you're you really only concerned about, you know, maybe the next year or two right now if you're actually trying to make moves to win rather than rebuild. Right. So right. if we are talking about rebuilding or restructuring or, you know, just trying to you know, make the best of this situation as we've discussed. There, there's a couple names that come up regularly. I mean, if I missed anybody, we we can definitely move into it. But the first guy I want to start with is Zach Levine. 
So I feel like this is probably, I feel like he splits the aisle more than any uh, of the other guys we're going to talk about here, um, you know, di- agree or disagree, but I definitely think he splits the aisle. Uh, Marty, what, what are your initial thoughts on Zach Levine? So, so here, this is, this is a selling point on Levine, right? So, you know, when you, when you start running the numbers and you go on basketball reference or, you know, any of those sort of sites and you start, you know, building in filters, like, okay, we need a guy who can get to the line. We need a guy that can shoot threes and make them at a high volume. We need a guy that can pass the ball a little bit. Um, you know, you, like you start plugging those numbers in and then you run it and it's like, okay, Kawhi, LeBron, Steph. And then like all the, you know, all the way down the list, you're kind of like, Hmm, I didn't expect to see his name and, and, and he's there. And so I, dude, I get the warts. I mean, does he, you know, his basketball IQ, I don't know. It's like, it's not great, but dude, he's really young. So I think he's like 24, 25. Yeah, still. 24. Uh, maybe 24. He's 25. He's making, he's making, again, like all things relative, kind of peanuts, like under $20 million, not just, not just this coming year, but the next year. So if you were going to take a swing on somebody and you were going to bet on somebody to say, you know, that, that I don't want to say like superstar hiding in plain sight, but just like a guy who always put up numbers, but just maybe wasn't in the right situation or didn't have the right coach. To me, that's the guy that I would probably take a risk on. And when I say like take a risk, like that's the guy I might unload a couple future first for, especially if I'm hanging on to Ben, if I'm hanging on to Embiid. And um, I would assume like Josh would be a part of that, you know, to make that deal work. Probably That's probably one where it's like, okay, we need Josh, we need Matisse, we need, you know, your OKC first and another one. Dude, I would think about it, man. I really would. I think I think he adds a dynamic when you watch the when you watch the playoffs and you see Jamal and you see these guys that can just get their own shots and score. It's worth a lot. It's worth a lot. And it makes your life easier. It's it makes often you know, it makes the team's life easier. So I get the concern on him and, and there's definitely an argument that, hey, it's empty stats, you know, Team's not usually as good when he's on the court, like all true. And that's like, that's like the Terry Rozier that I've like, at one point I was like kind of thinking I'd go that route. And the, the numbers are just so clear that like when he plays on the court, like when I'm talking about Rozier now, teams are just worse, like way worse. And so that's one I just can't get to because I just don't think Rozier is that good. But Levine is like, he's individually that talented. So it's just, can you make up for his def- defensive deficiencies? Can you? I think with Ben being kind of like a, a de facto point guard, you're not depending on him as much for ball handling. So I think you could like calibrate the right amount of like, you know, ball handling for him to where you're you're getting the benefit of his passing. But you know, he's not a great passer, but he's an okay passer. Um, so I, that, that's my take. I mean, I, he's someone I would be aggressively pursuing this summer. If I were the Sixers, so. When I started digging up stuff on him to to prepare for this, my first thought was I did not think he was making that little money. Uh, the next two seasons that will be played, uh, he will make just shy of $20 million each season. So that it, that was a shocker to me because I thought he made more. So I definitely don't have any problem paying a guy like him the money he's due. The deal you referenced where I'm giving up you know, a, a good starter that – his contract's expiring, obviously, so you know that's more of a, a salary match, and I'm I'm pretty okay with making that move, especially for a guy that's going to fill exactly his spot anyway. So you really can't have both, probably. 
and if I'm throwing in Matisse, that kind of gets back to the Matisse asset talk because I don't know if I'm giving two firsts and Matisse for two years of this guy, no matter how happy I think he could make it. That seems like a lot. If you told me it's a first and Matisse and Josh, but he said Josh is still a, a nice player and maybe they decide to, you know, extend him, which would not be the, you know, the worst idea in the world. Uh, you know, that might actually provide them with a nice chunk of value. I could get behind that. When I look at his numbers, to your point, uh, you know, are they empty numbers? The things that I don't worry about with empty numbers are things like three-point attempts and his percentage. Like, I don't care when they're coming if he's willing to do them. And I imagine in his situation in Chicago, I'm not going to claim to have watched too many Bulls games, but, I mean, there's not a whole lot else going on there besides Zach Levine, and he's still able to shoot, you know, like 38% on eight attempts a game. My thought is that while we always worry about most guys leaving here and looking better, he should get much better looks and definitely get that same volume if not, maybe like an attempt or two more yeah. in the way that we want to play that like I, I was surprised to see that he shoots the three that well. I knew he could shoot it, but you know, a, a career 37 and a half percent guy on a team where like I don't think he's getting like you know catch and shoot looks. I feel like he's probably pulling up off the dribble and just firing because what the fuck else are they doing? So I, I would love the idea of getting him in a system where, you know, like MB passes it out to him and he actually has room to shoot it and where you actually have guys, you know, uh, you know, creating opportunities to get him better shots and him not having to work so much to get all his other opportunities and getting to focus on being a guy that can spot up a little bit more but can also create his own shot when you need to. The passing, I think, is is okay. I don't know if that becomes better or worse here or how much I care that he can do it, but he's definitely capable, I'll say. The the biggest concern to me is just looking at his track record of, of his games played and, and am I willing to, to bring on another guy who seems like he's probably going to miss at least a decent chunk of the regular season because we know that's going to happen with Embiid. We really honestly at this point don't know if that could be a, a thing that happens with Simmons now. I, I just don't love the idea of all these guys that are just going to keep potentially missing time with nagging-type injuries, and, and he kind of has that label on him already, and that's also something I'm going to bring up with somebody else, but I'll leave that for now. Steve, uh, you know, Zach Levine, what kind of works for you, what doesn't? Uh, Zach Levine definitely works for me. I think he's just one of those players that I think it's almost become trendy to just trash him on Twitter. You say, oh, he just puts up these empty stats, he's trash, blah, 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 blah. Well, I bet you those uh, empty stats will look a lot better when you have someone like Ben Simmons passing the ball. Right. Or, hell, when Ben Simmons does that thing where he's going to the basket and makes that last-second you know, pass instead of just fucking shooting or dunking it, you know, Zach Levine could be the guy that gets hot and makes those shots. Uh, definitely more than, say, a Tobias or a Josh. And I just think him you know, playing on it, you know, he doesn't have to be the guy. And like you said... His uh, you know, thirty-seven and a half percent from three is, I think that's about league average, or maybe a little higher. I think it's so like just above, if not, yeah. And like you said, right at it. he's probably forcing a lot of shots, being the primary uh, uh shot and you know, creator and scorer on that yeah, team. That whereas he doesn't really, he's not going to have to have as much responsibility, and maybe that could be a good thing. And being twenty-five years old, I mean, he still has another two or three years to get even better. Whereas, say, someone like Tobias, who, you know, obviously, again, we're Team Tobias guys, but I even said when we traded for him, the one argument for Tobias has always been, well, he's gotten better each and every year. I'm like, 
yes, but at some point, like it's just going to plateau or perhaps go backwards. And, you know, this year we didn't, you know, it just things kind of plateaued for the most part. So, uh, you know, Zach Levine would excite me, but I do also see your concern of, you know, if we're giving up two people and Matisse Thibel and Josh Richardson, you know, you're taking away two guys who are usually on the floor for the most of the year, and you're getting another guy who could potentially miss time along with your two other stars. So, I mean, if, you know, if the right trade opportunity is available, I would like it, but I also, you know, wouldn't give too many actual players that are team-friendly contracts for them. So, Marty, you pitched a deal, and then I kind of, you know, so you, you have like two firsts, uh, you know, a prospect, so to speak, and the salary match. I would ideally like that to really be one first. I mean, you know, do you, do you think that it would have to be two firsts or do you think, you know, you're just saying you're willing to do that? So we go, so the way from a money perspective, it would actually be, you know, I mean, one iteration, but I think you could actually like have a conversation about, yeah, I think the bulls are going to have interest in them. I don't think we'll have the best deal, but you know, to have a conversation, you, you need to include Scott. Unfortunately, I don't know if, if that's, you know, how, how important the hive is to you or, or his contributions, but oh, that's fine. He's um, you need his money. You, you need, um, you need Josh, you need Mike, and then you need one of Zaire or, um, or Matisse. So, you know, to your point, like maybe it's, you know, if it's, if it's Zaire, you know, maybe it is like the OKC first that that's nice. I mean, it's great to have, but we do have two decent seconds, you know, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. And then maybe it's a first down the line. And then to your point, if it's, if it's Matisse, you say, okay, well, then you're only getting one first. Right. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's this OKC one. And then we're, we then you still sit on all your future first. That, you know, now you can still maybe get off of Horford. And maybe that's that's the way to rebuild your, your depth a little bit. So, you you know, yeah, you're going to move Josh. You're going to move Matisse. You're going to move um, this year's OKC pick um, and, and Mike Scott. But then you use maybe one of your future first to get off of Horford and bring in, like, you know, a Patty Mills and Rudy Gay, whatever, like whatever you end up doing. Right. And, you know, we're going to talk about Horford deals, but maybe that's kind of how you, you, you do it. So my, my instincts are they won't have a good enough deal for Levine without kind of going crazy. And I, and I recognize what you guys are saying. I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get into like maybe the three first round pick, you know, oh, absolutely place, but no. you, you, you could talk me into the OKC first and a future first um, for, for him. In like okay. a in like a Josh Zaire and Mike Scott construct. Let me ask you the you this like personally just for you because I know you're a Josh guy. Would you rather give up a package that includes like two, you know, first round pick assets, whether you know one's down the line or not or what have you, and Josh and you know Matisse, or would you rather them, you know, kind of stay put but extend Josh? What what do you think is is a better move overall? I mean, if you them? can get Levine, if you can get Levine, I would. I mean, I would, you know, say goodbye to Josh pretty okay. pretty easily. I mean, just be, just because you know the upside is there, and and the thing with Levine is now you do have a guy for all the work he might have that with two minutes left, you feel like you have a guy that can go score a bucket for sure. He can pull up from three, he can drive and get fouled, he'll make his foul shots. So so to me, that's that's a no brainer. Okay. Um, that would be one of my strategies this summer, though, and I, I've talked about it. Yeah. Um, the six, the Sixers can offer um, Richardson an extension, and actually, it comes out to like a pretty fair deal. I mean, it's into like Joe Ingles and you know Will Barton kind of four year. I think it's like fifty seven, fifty eight million, which I really don't think is is 
like bad money either way. Like I think it would be a fair contract for him, and I think it would I think it would behoove the Sixers to offer it. And you know maybe he does hate it here. I don't know. Um, I get kind of mixed vibes from him. I, I like him as a person. I don't. I think I I do agree. When I when he came here, a couple of people warned me that watched him a lot in Florida. They you know Sixers fan that lived Sixers fans that lived in kind of the Miami area that like hey he was a really good guy, really hard worker, good basketball player, but like didn't have like top notch basketball IQ. And I think I think that's fair. You know yeah. I think he you know sometimes does things where you're just like what the fuck is he doing? Yeah. Um, and that's frustrating, but. Dude, that's the thing, you know, fans don't realize, man. I mean, that happens to a lot more players than you think. You just don't watch that many of them. But, but, but the problem is is that people on Twitter, and maybe this is just Sixers Twitter, basketball Twitter, I don't know, like, everyone wants these guys to be perfect, right? To be, to have a perfect three-point rate, to get to the line X amount of times, to not be bad at defense. Well, guess what, okay. guys? Like, those are superstars. Those are max players, and there's like 10 of them. So every player you get is going to have wards. They're not going to shoot enough threes. Um, they're going to be, you know, not be the best defender. And like that's the thing. Like I wanted to ask you guys about is, you know, when you look at Zach's on off. I'm just I'm like glancing at cleaning the glass. Offensively, he's elite. Makes the team. You know, he's in the 80th percentile offensively as a as a uh, player. Right. Defensively is where he gives up points. Are the Sixers good enough? Like is Embiid and Ben good enough? And let's you know. Let's just say in this exercise, bias is here, and maybe Josh is too. Maybe it's not Levine I'm talking about. Maybe it's Buddy. I guess that'll be the next guy we talk about. Is the defense good enough to make up for one bad defender? And I think the answer is like definitely yes. Well, yeah, it is. And like I was, we I did was when JJ Redick was on the team, right? I was one of the people that got exactly. so pissed off at people that were were always dog JJ. It's like JJ mm-hmm. was in position at least. Like JJ was not a lost puppy out there can he not body guys up yeah he's a, he's a scrawny little white guy but you know he knew what he was doing he was doing his job in the scheme he just wasn't that great at it but he wasn't out of position he wasn't missing assignments and all that and the the biggest thing about bringing in someone like Levine is you take offensive responsibility off of Joel Embiid and allow him to, to spend more energy on defense. And we've seen when he's able to spend the energy on defense that he can make up for so many mistakes and change the game on that end of the floor. The problem has been is he has too much offensive responsibility to do both. Agree, agree. And that, that if I were Doc Rivers, what I would be pushing next year with Embiid when you know, and Embiid, I remember Embiid saying, "I want to be." What did he say? I want to be MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, and I remember him saying that and sort of like cringing because I knew as soon as he said MVP, I know what that means. And if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm like, listen, I need you to be the Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. That's all that matters. If you're the Defensive Player of the Year, we go to the conference finals. We, we go to the conference finals. Yeah. Maybe we don't make the finals, but you know we'll, we'll be there because you're you change the game defensively, and there's only a few guys that can do that, and he's one of them. And then. When you add Ben to the mix with his defensive abilities, you know that's that would be my challenge if I'm Doc Rivers. Right. Listen, guys, you're going to score points, okay? We're going to score plenty of points. Ben, I need you first team all defense again. Joel, I need you first team all defense and MB- and defensive player of the year. That would be my challenge to those two players. Look, we love we love we have this you know like unspoken rivalry with Jazz fans, and we love to rip on Donovan <laughs> Mitchell. But like, look at the floor of that Utah team with only those two. Like, they don't have a Ben Simmons on that team. So let's say Zach Levine and Donovan Mitchell are are close. Whether you like one more than the other, and we obviously know that Embiid is a better player than Rudy Gobert, but Gobert is available. Focus is more on defense, et cetera, et cetera. 
if Embiid was able to just be like Gobert, who can hit the three occasionally just to space your offense more and, you know, consistently put up 21-22 instead of like 15, then, you know, you insert the idea of Ben Simmons as this ultimate, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like pocket knife defender, you know, Swiss, Swiss Army, Army knife, knife defender. Yeah. Like, your floor has to be in the top half of the conference all the time because they're always like a four or five seat and they don't have nearly the same talent. Yep, I agree, I agree. So that's what I would look at. It's just, yo, let's just go be the Jazz, but with actual upside. Like, maybe we never hit it, but, like, you know the Jazz aren't actually making any real noise, but you know they're always going to have this floor of, like, you know, a a competitive first-round and likely a second round exit, but you know maybe they upset somebody. Like if that's your floor, that's pretty good. And I would take the upside of Joel and Ben to definitely uh, put them on a better trajectory than the upside of a Mitchell and a Gobert. Uh, All right, who's your next guy? So the next guy I have is Chris Paul, mm. and okay. uh, I'll, I'll make this easier for anybody listening. So Chris Paul uh, would have two years left on a deal if you picked him up. He will make f- over $41 million for the upcoming season. And then he has a player option, which he would definitely pick up for the year after for just over $44 million. Uh, he is currently 35, Yep, I believe. So he will be 36 and 37 on those years. Making over $40 million a year. Yeah. So, Marty, what, what's your initial take on Chris Paul? So here's here's the one thing I think nobody is paying attention to when I see some of the fake trades that, that get put around. I would venture to guess 20 out of the 30 GMs, if not more, are going to be given specific instructions from their front office to lower their payroll, to not, you know, not have as big of a, whether it's a tax bill or just the amount of payroll they have to pay. I mean, every team has to be at that 90% of the cap, but, you know, teams that aren't, you know, championship caliber, you know, the, the Houston Rockets, well, the Houston Rockets are, but, but like, we know their owner, um, you know, Oklahoma city, like there is no way I've seen some of these deals, like where, you know, they're taking back more money in a Chris Paul deal, even though it's just for this next year, that's not going to happen. Uh That's not going to happen. The, The way Chris Paul gets moved is one, they, they take back less money this year. It could be, you know, just a couple million. And then obviously over the life of, you know, what they would be paying Paul, it'll be significantly more. But when you start to look at it like that and, and see it through that kind of light, dude, there's not that many teams that can really trade for Chris Paul. Um, I really think it's like the Sixers, the Bucks, and actually like the Knicks, if the Knicks kind of decide to, to do that. Um, I don't know why the Knicks would do that. That would be pretty um, funny unless, if they did. You know, because of the Knicks? Yeah. But yeah, that's the only actual reason. <laughs> But, but, I mean, the, the advantage the Knicks have is that, you know, again, I don't think the price is as high as people think for um, Paul. Now, now Presti's a great GM. Will he be able to leverage, you know, two teams that are interested against each other and get in, get in asset? Yeah, maybe. But, I, you know, I don't think you're looking at multiple first-round picks. You know, I don't know that, you know, like, to your point, like, to me this is probably one where it's like Al Horford, Mike Scott, and Seibel, and you'd be done. Like, he, they would take that. I think they would really? think that they get off of Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want to pay Chris Paul, man. I, I mean, I don't this, think they want to either, but I think they're going to look for a draft pick. Or, or, okay, but I'm just saying, like, so it's or the draft pick. Maybe it's picks. not a yeah. But But I don't think it's, 
I just don't think it's this deal where you're like, you know, I remember when the season was over, it's like, oh, it's two first round pit. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's definitely not. And and if it is, like, God, please don't let it be the Sixers. Like, all right, that would be a horrendous. That would be a horrendous trade for your franchise. It's just too risky. Okay, well, so like that 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 brings good that brings good points then because I mean all all the rumors seem to indicate that kind of overpay thing, but you make great great points as to why it's not. So let's let's say it's not, and let's talk in the context of of something along the lines of like Horford and a Thibel or you know lightly so, protected first. Yeah, it would be, it would be Horford, Scott, and Zaire which is less money than Paul's making, but it works under the salary cap. So you save them immediate money right now, significant money in the future. And like you said, yeah, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's this year's Oklahoma City take back to them or it's a future first or it's two seconds. You know, if that's the case, yeah. I mean, you, you have to look at that. Are the Sixers owners willing to, to pay that for two years? That's, that's the question. I, you know, the owners that are willing to pay – in the face of maybe fans not in the stands and less revenue, I mean, it's going to be almost like baseball in the sense that, like, the competitive advantage is going to be enormous. So, you know, maybe the Sixers owners for once um, kind of step up to the plate and say, like, listen, you know, Paul's got two years left. You know, if it if it blows up, we'll just blow this whole thing up in two years, but we'll right. bite the bullet for two years. We think he's the missing piece. I can get behind that deal. I just can't get behind it when it, if it starts getting into, like, you know, the Knicks start getting nuts, and it's you know now it's two first round picks and yeah. Bible. Like no way, no but, way. But okay, so let let's say they they aren't the they aren't baited by Presty, and they make some kind of fair deal that's along the lines of what we're discussing, where it's the three guys to match the salary, and and let's just say you th- give them their first back. So, so something along those lines. So one, I mean, okay. are, are you are you definitely doing that? And two, if you are you know, like talk to me about your vision of the Sixers with Chris Paul and, you know, how they look and how that impacts guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons specifically. It wouldn't be my first move. I mean, just being honest, like I just, there's so much risk. Like you talked about Levine, like Paul's 36 and 37, he's six feet tall. Um, you know, Doc would be the right coach because I think they you'd have to like um, load manage him, like, significantly during the regular season. I'm talking like probably like 25 minutes a night tops. Um, have you, you have really you looked at his usage in, in OKC this year? Cause it's crazy to me and it's the biggest reason I don't want anything to do with him. He started 70 games and played 31 and a half minutes and then took the time off and had the playoffs and stuff. It, yeah. Again, like the Sixers have kind of painted him in, into this corner where in some ways he's the, he's probably the best fit, you know, his shooting and his ball handling. And there's a lot of like re- basketball reasons to do it. Um, again, this sort of feels like process over results, right? Like, is this the right process to bring in a 36 year old point guard making, you know, 40 million, but, but, but could it give you the right result, right? Could everything go right this year? And, you know, you win the championship this year. Maybe. Um, Steve doesn't look happy. Move, I, I would, I just, to me, to me, we can talk about Horford. I mean, moving Horford is, is kind of like number one to me, and I'd be pretty aggressive with it. And I would be, if I was Elton Brand, I'd make it pretty clear to Sam Presti that, like, we're interested in talking about Chris Paul, um, but we're not interested in, like, really giving up assets. And kind of put it on Presti be like, if you really want to trade this guy, like, we can be a landing spot, 
but we're not really, you know, we're not really interested in giving up assets for him. And I think the longer that the, the Thunder sit on him and don't have a deal and the Knicks use their cap space on Fred Van Vliet and things like that, you know, potentially just that's a name that's been bandied about and, and the Bucks maybe, you know, to go in a different direction. I think all of a sudden, like, you know, this Presti, like, fine, man. Like, okay, we're not giving you any picks, but you don't have to give us any picks. Like, here's how it would work. You know, I think I think patience, with the Sixers have not always shown to be good at, um, is maybe the right um, the right tact when it comes to Chris Paul. That's how I would put it. So I wouldn't rush in. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be my first uh, like swing this summer. So I definitely see Chris Paul being on the Sixers is obviously a much better basketball fit than Al Horford right now. Um, and I right. agree everything with these, with what you said for the most part, but not really a basketball reason, but you just know if we trade for a 35 year old Chris Paul, you know, when he, the second he lands in Philadelphia, it's just going to be over. He's not going to be anywhere near the player. He was even last year, let, let alone five, 10 years ago, because that's just what our luck is. And I mean, this dude, you're going to be paying over $40 million for a guy who plays 25 to 30 minutes a game. Now I will say during the one regular season game when we played Oklahoma OKC um, and we were up, I think, and throughout the first half and Chris Paul was kind of quiet, but then they said, and he kind of developed this reputation this year where he kind of slowly worked his way into the game and just when, you know, come time to fourth quarter, he would just kill you, which would be a great thing to have on this team. But, you know, I don't see him. I, I don't see how much longer he can keep that up. And the other thing that that just, and maybe things have quieted down since we hired Doc Rivers, Chris Ball has really, really bad track record of being a, like a, a bad teammate. People, a lot of people, you know, it, it's nothing that's really come up, you know, that big nationally, although I'm surprised it kind of hasn't. But a lot of people fault him for why Lob City never worked out in L.A. And I just think with, you know, Doc Rivers not being able to win with that team, did I think they could really win a title? You know, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, J.J. Reddick, Chris Paul. I I mean, no, but they never even got to the Western Conference Finals. And I just think with how that team kind of broke up and, you know, Chris Paul, it, it seemed like the writing on the walls indicates he left on bad terms. I don't think Doc Rivers would want anything to do with Chris Paul. I don't. I don't know about all they of that. Really buried the hatchet. I, just uh, for the record. I yeah. mean, I mean I they say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing is when I look at Chris Paul's last two years, especially because as you get older, like I feel like it's less worthy of looking at, you know, like his career stats and you can really definitely decide that he's probably not doing any better than any past years as he goes forward. His three point shooting percentage has been trending down to pretty much like at league average or even lower. Like the past two years, he's only at about 36%, whereas early in his career, his upper 30s, even around 40-some seasons. He's definitely not the defender he once was. He's still good because he's savvy and he's smart, but you know he doesn't have the, the physicality to do it anymore or the, or the same... Um, 
you know, like like agility and whatnot to do those kinds of things. The health the health thing is a problem in itself, and even his like assists have dropped significantly from a guy that you know led the league four times to this past season in Oklahoma City, not even averaging seven a game. I mean, we watch a guy like Jimmy Butler in the finals putting up 8, 9, 10, and he's not even the point guard. So we talk about wanting this pure point guard kind of game. I don't even know that you can say that Chris Paul necessarily is that. And honestly, when you look at you know his numbers in 32 minutes a game, which to Marty's point, we probably can't give him here. I wouldn't want to be giving him that yeah. here. And nor would I expect him to play 70 games here that, you know, we talked about Josh Richardson a little bit. It, Chris Paul's season average numbers this past season aren't very far off what Josh Richardson did, nor what Josh Richardson can do for a fraction of the cost. So I don't know why you're going to move all these things to get a guy that's best case scenario is putting up mildly better numbers than Josh Richardson probably does if you main, if you keep him and or extend him. But I mean, he's—I mean, he's a different player though than Richardson. I mean, he's a I guy know. that you can put the ball in his hands. But um, I, I, to me, the Paul thing reeks of desperation, and maybe they should be desperate. But to me, you're—you're you're basically all in for next year with Paul because there's really no future with him, right? You'd have him for two years, and then he'll be 38, and then like he retires. I mean, there's no way he'll be at the level he's at now, and and, and then you're still an over the cap team. Like it just. It's a move that they may end up having no choice but to make because both teams will be in a position where the Sixers can't move Horford and the, the Thunder can't move Paul. So it, it wouldn't shock me. I'd put it at, like honestly, like 40% that I think that deal happens. It just wouldn't be – if I was the GM of the Sixers, if I was Elton Brand, that – you know, if that's what ownership signed off on, like so be it. But that just wouldn't – that's not how I would envision building yeah. this team. I would – I would be looking at this team right now and go, these guys are still young enough that I can put some pieces around them and still grow this into something where you don't have windows opening and closing. You can open a window for four or five seasons. And even if you end up having to deal an MD or a Ben, you reload with those guys and the person you've brought in or the people you've brought in can be part of sort of the second generation where, again, you're not opening and closing windows. You're just kind of keeping it open and so that any time there's an opportunity – you're you're able to seize it and you can go after it I, you know I, I know like the natural thing in basketball is sort of like these like you know winds of, of change but you know the teams that can just kind of stay like around the top like Toronto you know you saw that like they you know Kawhi came available and they had the right guy to trade and they did it and they won a championship like you know did they lose a bunch of times in like to, to the Cavs and in the playoffs sure but they didn't break it up right away and so right. That's the other thing I think the Sixers have to look at this offseason is, like, how much turnover do you really want to have? And are you just, like, you know, JJ's, I think, kind of been annoying about the Sixers, like, if you followed any of his podcasts. Yeah. But, you know, he made that point, and I think he's right. Like, you just had this constant churn on the roster. And I think it took a toll on on Brown. I think it took a toll on oh, Embiid. And, you know, I, I think, like, I think Tobias and Josh need to change their games a bit for sure, but I think the changes you'd be asking them to make are, are reasonable changes. I don't think you're asking them to become different players. I think you're asking them to focus on different things that they're already able to do. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to jump back to Tobias, but I mean, the the one thing that I definitely wanted to be to be able to say was 
that's one of the biggest things about the Doc Rivers hire that excites me is I'm hoping that if anybody's going to be able to get Tobias to look like the guy that we traded for and expected, that it might be him being that he was the one coaching him at the peak of his career and was using him in the way that made him look the best that he has. So hopefully there's something to that. I agree. One, one more thing on Paul, and then I know I wanted to, I definitely want to talk about a few more guys. All you'd have left is a tax MLA, and you need to fill that with a backup center. So, you know, again, if you do this Paul move, you're this, you know, I'm kind of like being a hypocrite because I just said like, you know, maybe you try to keep the roster intact, but you'd really be keeping the roster intact because you'd be bringing back this exact same team with nothing but Paul, a new backup center and veteran minimums and whatever draft picks you have. And just to me that, that feels like maybe not enough change, even though Paul's a a pretty big change. So, yeah. You know, the thing was, like, we just talked about with Levine, like, you'd still have that Horford deal to move for some different pieces, from different pieces, different parts. You know, if you trade for Paul, I mean, that's the move. That's it. Right. All right, so the, the last guy I had, and definitely if you have anybody else, I mean, because another guy that I was questioning putting on the list was Rozier, who you already kind of talked about, and I don't really... I think I don't know. Think any of us really have. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think we have to spend very much time on that. The next guy that I that I do have is Buddy Heald, who has definitely been a hot name for the Sixers for quite some time. There's a story about him. You know, I think like liking posts on on Instagram. Instagram, Yeah. uh, Rumoring him here. Uh, He's clearly. It's very strange that. You know, he's about to begin a four-year extension given to him by the Kings for a lot of money, yet the Kings seem like they soured on him before day one of that extension. So his, his contract uh, ex- expires this season, so if you are acquiring him, you're acquiring him at the start of a four-year $94 million extension that will see him make an average of $23.5 million a year. Uh, but it is a decreasing. But, but, it, but it's a send each, it's a send each year, and that's an important thing. Yep. To, so it decreases each year. So you're paying the most this upcoming year at just shy of twenty five million, and by the end of the deal, you're only paying him eighteen and a half million. So it's like the Robert Covington special, just more money. Right. <laughs> Step down each year. So, Marty, your initial thoughts on on Buddy in this offense, and what what kind of deal do you think it takes uh, to move him? This seems like the one that has often involved Horford the most. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's start with the bad about Buddy. Buddy's, without a doubt, a bad defensive player. Yeah. Like, he's, he, and he may not, like, I think Levine has the athleticism that you could probably coach him up. Um, Buddy does not seem to be a good defensive yeah. player at all. So, uh, you know, that's that matters. That matters, and, you know, um, we talk about basketball IQ. Like, would you want to have him and Richardson in the back? court at the same time I don't know I mean maybe because of the defense that Richardson brings would offset sort of like you know you could kind of hide buddy on the worst defender um that being said and we kind of talked about this in the beginning kind of like with with um with a Levine when you start running the numbers and if you if you feel the Sixers need a shooter right if you're like man we need shooting I've heard both things right we need we need shooting and we need creation and ideally you get it all in one guy. And that's where to me, that's the Levine. Example. Yes. I, I don't know how realistic that is. So then it becomes, well, okay, it's, it's two guys that we need, you know, because one, we need a shooter and the other one, we need a creator. Okay. Mm. So you start looking around, you know, Langston Galloway is a name that's like kind of interesting. I think you could maybe get them for the, the tax MLA. Would you go into next season being like stoked that that was like sort of your, you know, Hey, we kept things status quo and we went out and we signed Langston Galloway. No. <laughs> like, Okay, you know, I, 
you know, that's like the, the name I shall not mention, but, you know, a Sixers fan uh, that likes to talk about Sixers lineups and starting Al oh. Horford and Todd Seibel and yeah. just Jake, you know, that, that feels like the type of move he would want to do. And the it, best it, Sixers it, lineup does not. not involve Tobias Harris. It's just not enough. It's not enough. So, so when you dig into Buddy, so I've like been looking at like his movement, right? Like how much he moves on the floor and like his speed on the floor. Offensively, he would change things immediately for the Sixers in an extremely good way offensively, and I think would be satisfied with the type of role that he has because he'd get plenty of shots. You really want to limit, you know, his the ball in his hands in terms of like. That's where things went bad this year with the Kings when they asked him when Fox got hurt to say, hey, we need you to be the focal point and put the ball in your hand. What you want to do with Buddy is do what you did with JJ. And yeah. I think you're going to get a, a totally reengaged um, Joel Embiid. And, and, like, the whole – I don't want to be careful because, like, I don't want to characterize guys, but there's been, like, kind of, like, personality um, claims against Buddy and not a good teammate and – I don't know, man. I don't totally buy it. I went to school in Florida. I was friends with, like, a lot of kids from the Bahamas. Like, they definitely have, like, a different sort of, like, personality. And it, I guess it can kind of rub people the wrong way. But I think he's a little bit like Joe, which maybe That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that might be a that. good thing, yeah. It, it, it kind of – I think it could actually be a good thing in that his fit is so good. And I think would be the type of guy that, like, Joe would maybe kick it with and be like, okay, I, I get this dude. I like this guy. Yeah. Um. I really like the fit. I, and again, I get where everyone's concern is coming from. Um, you know, would he be my first choice like this summer? Like under, you know, if we still had all of our assets and, you know, you, you're going to have to take a bit of a distressed asset right. if, if your goal is to move forward. And I think, I don't, I don't know if a straight up deal works. Uh, I mean, I know it works financially. I don't know the Kings, you know, how they view it. I, I do think there's some three-way deals that work pretty easily, um, quite honestly. And I think, I think Buddy's, like, very viable. And I think him wanting to come here and, like, making that very clear is a positive. Like, so he's kind of the guy I would target. And, again, I know that that's, you know, it could backfire. He could come here, be unhappy, and cause, you know, restlessness. But I like the way the contract descends as, you know, some of our other guys' pay would go up. Um, Maybe it allows you to re-sign Richardson if you you don't have him in the deal. And and maybe he agrees to that extension. And now – now all of a sudden you have a cap sheet that kind of makes sense. You have, you know, three, you know, max guys, but two of them are kind of on like those rookie maxes. And then you have Buddy going down and Josh at like a pretty standard starters contract. So um, would you still need a, you know, a, a ball handler? Yeah. You know, you have to figure that out. Um, would you would you then need a, a backup big? Yeah. You'd have to figure that out. So, you know, their work's cut out for them, but, but I like Buddy. I do. And, and I think that, what he'd bring, again, when you run the numbers as a shooter, as far as who would be available and even who you would want, I mean, he's, he's in the top 10 easily in volume three-point shooting. So my, my question for you guys is, is as much as this deal makes sense for us, one, does it make sense? Like, is Al Horford really someone the Kings would want? Or if this is, you know, a multi-team trade, you know, three or more teams involved, is there really another team out there that I think really wants to take on Horford, at, especially after the year he had with us? So I, I can't speak to the to the three-team thing. I'll leave that for Marty. What I can tell you about the Kings is, one, they, they've always been 
uh, like it's always been reported that their ownership and everything likes Al Horford. Um, it seems like they were probably in the market for him, you know, when when we signed him, but they weren't weren't going to offer him what we did at least. And also, I think Al having the choice wanted to go somewhere where he thought he could win, which clearly wouldn't have been Sacramento. But the other thought for Sacramento is one, they get somebody to play with the Aaron Fox who will play really well with him, and they're going to like Horford for that. And they're going to get a guy to coach up Marvin Bagley, who's their future. So uh, yeah, they yeah, do get sense. two valuable things in that, and they have the money to spend anyway. I, that's why I agree that I don't think straight up, even if the money works, that the value does. I think you're going to have to give them something, but I'm not even giving them a first. Like I'm talking one of those, you know, nice seconds we have in this draft, and and I don't know if if you need anything beyond that. Uh, maybe like a heavily protected first, like like real heavy, like top twenty, uh, if it really comes to that. But uh, I I don't think that it takes too much. More than that to do it, but I definitely don't think they're doing it straight up. But they they do value Horford. Yeah. So so a couple of things to unpack there for sure. Um, I know you know pretty much for a fact there was in, they were the other team in on Horford this past year. Um, I don't think Al Horford wanted to go there, and I do think I do think you know maybe Elton got it in him, but I do think Elton would not love sending his friend to Sacramento. I'm sure you know in terms of agent relationships that would not be you know, too kindly thought of after signing him to a big deal, even though you look like, listen, you, you got your money, you know, it is what it is. I just, I think in the world of the NBA, there's, you know, relationships. And I, I think they would try to find a third team to send them to the team I have circled to be quite honest. And I've said this for a while and I, I still believe it. I think it's the Spurs. Um, Aldridge is actually a year older than Horford. He's in his last year. I think there's some teams that would just like pretty much flat out take Aldridge. Maybe you don't get a lot for him, but I think you wouldn't have to pay to get off him. Um, so I think you could almost look at Horford as like, you know, a guy that could step into that role for the Spurs. The Spurs aren't really a cap space team. So I don't know that they're like, you know, building their future around having like this, like max cap um, space. They've signed Murray whites do an extension this summer. Um, they've got some young guys. They like, you know, DeRozan's in the last year of his deal if he opts in. Like, is that a guy the Kings might want? You know, I, I could see that. I could see where the Kings are like, you know what? Yeah, we're done with Buddy. We'll take DeRozan, a guy who's, like, kind of a veteran and has done some things. Um, or, like, is it, like, a Patty Mills and a Rudy Gay and, like, you know, you package them. You know, they're both expiring. Patty's a really good shooter. I'd love to actually get our hands yeah, on Patty. Yeah, now. I would love Patty um, Mills. Um, you know, or is it something where it's, like, you know – not to get it, like go too crazy, but like it's Horf, you know, Rudy, Rudy Gay and Patty works almost exactly for Al Horford, just for like the cap nerds out there. Um, and then Josh and Rudy work almost exactly for Buddy. So, you know, is there a world where we end up with Patty Mills and Buddy Heald? We trade Horford and Josh. Maybe there's, you know, limited picks involved. Maybe there's a pick going to the Spurs, like, you know, for taking Horford, like the Oklahoma City pick. But, you know, now you have like, Really, I mean, Patty and Buddy would be like when you talk about shooting. Yeah, you know, now now your defense you know, definitely takes a hit, and so you know, can, where can you, you know, is that where a Matisse kind of steps into the starting lineup and can be that guy to say, listen, you're not going to do much offensively, but we're going to need you on the defensive end because we've got some real weak points now. And that that's one of the um, biggest things about Buddy for me is I feel like him and Matisse are the perfect like 
like 24 and 24. Like I have Buddy out there, and he scores me all yeah. the fucking points. And then Matisse comes in and locks somebody down once we have that lead. Like I think those two together build you a hell of a starting player, and it's fine to do it that way with them because I don't really want either of them playing 30 minutes a night for me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do think there's a three-team deal out there. I, again, I'm not sure if it works straight up for the Kings. Um, they've been in cost-cutting mode. Like, they furloughed a bunch of scouts and, like, front office people. I don't know if you guys caught that. So um, small market team. I know the decks got deep pockets. But, again, when you're constructing deals, don't – don't. just my advice, if you want something realistic, don't create a deal where they're taking more money back because they're not going to do that. They're going to want – you know, they're going to want – something that can play whether that's a starter or you know a matisse or a you know know, veteran like a like a patty mo they're going to want something and they're going to want salary relief and maybe a small like future asset and you know those are the things that Felton and the crew is going to have to kind of evaluate but um i don't think the market's going to be super hot for buddy and i think he's in some ways doing us a favor you know we see this around the league all the time where you know it ends up like there's only one place to trade a guy because they've made it clear that's kind of where they want to go. Um, and so other teams are, like, less inclined to want to make a deal for that player. So I think, you know, I, you can't ignore it that, you know, some of the stuff with Buddy, but I would say 80% of it I would sort of chalk up to him trying to get where he wants to go. And he knows that coming here, you know, he, he, his numbers would go nuts. I truly believe that. All right, Marty, we're, we're running a little long here. You said you have other guys, so can you, the same way we've kind of talked about these past three, can you give me one or two more guys and kind I'll of quick get them? Just one more guy. I'll okay. just give you one more guy that I think would actually be like a perfect fit, and I don't know how they get them. I don't think they can. That's not a salary thing. It's just like I just don't think it's a good match team-wise, but Spencer Dinwiddie would be a really good fit. Yeah. Um, he would be a really good fit. And I, I mean, honestly, like he's a guy which I would flip for Josh straight up as much as I love Josh. And I'd actually love to have both. Um, but Dinwiddie again, just does like the things that we kind of need and kind of does it all. Like he's kind of like JV Levine in a sense, like where you could give him the ball in the game. Is it the best option in the NBA? No, you know, he definitely did a disadvantage compared to like Denver and other places, but it would be, such a huge upgrade from where we're at now. Um, he takes the threes, he gets to the line, you know, he's the right age, makes the right money. So that would be the other guy that I would just, if, if there's, again, if maybe maybe the Nets are kind of in on some, like, um, three-way trades. I know Drew's a guy people have talked about here. I would like Drew, but I think you'd have to pair him with, like, that's where you'd have to sign, like, a Langston Galloway to, to really, like, kind of balance. Because Drew's not a shooter. No. You know, your defense, your defense would be elite, but you would need that shooter. Um, but I don't know, maybe the Nets get involved in like a deal for a, uh, for a Drew holiday or something like that. And you end up um, maybe being able to sneak a Dinwiddie. Um, I'm not like, I've heard some stuff about Lonzo. You guys have any interest in Lonzo ball? I don't hate the idea of it. He's, he's become a better player than I expected him to be. Um, he's a really good defender. He's, he's a, he has a high basketball IQ, I obviously still don't trust the shot, and our biggest thing is we really just need volume shooting. So he fits the same kind of thing that you said about Drew, where I think if you're going to go with him, then you still need to find the volume shooter alongside of him. Yeah, I, I would I would take Lonzo. I mean, I would give up, like, a first, but I wouldn't. People have suggested, like, Josh for him. I, I prob- I'm, I'm not giving up Josh for, for him. That's my opinion. 
I don't know what Lonzo's contract is, but I might if because of the fact that Josh has only a year left. He's he's got eleven million this year, and then he's do he's a restricted free agent, so oh, okay. he would be doing extensions. Yeah, so I mean, if we're looking at just like swapping them for the year, no, I probably keep Josh. Um, I don't even like. I would probably have to really. Th- I didn't expect that name. I'd probably have to really think about it just in an on the court sense. But I would say going back to our point of turnover, I would feel better about Josh getting a, a second year here than I would bringing Lonzo in new for one year only. That would probably be the biggest factor for me. Um, um, that's, I mean, there's probably a, a couple other guys I've thought of, but those are the main ones I've heard or I've thought about. But, um, you know, to me, if I was ranking it, I would have, um, and, it, and this it relates to contract, it relates to assets you'd have to give up, it would, it would relate to the future. I would probably go Levine, Buddy, CP3 as like one, two, three, if I was like ranking. I, th- I think we all would agree that yeah. CP3 is a pretty distant third. I, I only really brought him up because the, the, the rumor seems so loud, not so much out of desire. Um, you, you mentioned on here about, um, well, we talked a lot about backup centers. And I mean, if you can think of some guys that you think they may target in the event that Horford is moved, you know, I, I looked at a list today and I, I really didn't see all that much. The only guy that kind of came to mind, and I don't actually think that, um, I don't know if his situation is that he's actually going to stay where he is or not, but as a guy I wanted last year um, was Willie Cauley-Stein because I, I really like him. But uh, the question I'd rather ask you, and you know, you can still give me the list if you want, but the question I'd like to ask you when we look at that backup center position, now that Brett's gone and we're bringing in a guy like Doc who I don't think is going to be stuck you know, in one specific system or necessarily scheme, and, and this may be the first big change we've seen in, in the direction of how this team works on both ends of the court is when you're looking for a backup center, and, and especially when I've looked in these playoffs, like one of the things that stood out to me, um, I said I didn't watch too many series, but one series I really was caught up in uh, was, was the last Nuggets series and the uh, the play of Jeremy Grant, former Sixer, obviously. And so we, we've obviously run through the mill of all these backup centers in the past, and I feel like they're always looking for a guy to kind of emulate Embiid and come in and try and do you know the same things because they weren't really willing to change anything. Now with a new coach, do you, do you still expect them to look for, you know, a backup big that at least can, you know, attempt to play the role that NBA normally does, which is more of, you know, a, a drop-back rim protector? Or would you look for them to maybe, you know, in a second unit, try to find potentially, like, you know, a small ball big, maybe a, a tweener kind of guy who can, you know, actually get out there and do some things different and, and be a bit more athletic than the typical backups have been? Um, I think that... You know, I think they need to get the best player available as the backup. And I think, let, let's assume, you assume Pell is going to be on the roster, right? Yeah, but I assume they're not going to so, let him so be I, the primary backup. No, of course. So, so again, given Embiid's sort of history, I think what I would, in a perfect world, what I would do is, um, if you can't acquire one, like, within a trade, you know, and there's some, you know, again, depending on what you do, maybe you can combine, like, a Mike Scott and a Zaire and, and trade for somebody, but... Um, I would probably look to like use my MLE on a center and then also like still try to pick one off, like kind of the scrap heap for the minimum. I, like a guy like Von Ley is still a guy that I kind of have some interest in. He's kind of shown like a decent ability to guard like a Giannis and yeah. like the few times the Knicks played him last year. So 
you know, if he could be had for the minimum, I like that. I'll give you one name that I've really been thinking a lot about, and I don't know if he'd be willing to do it. I doubt he would want this role, and certainly probably not here. But I, you were funny you said the Nugget series. I think Paul Millsap as a small ball five, like moving <laughs> forward, would be pretty ridiculous. And I would love that. He's, he's 6'7", but he's got these huge long arms. He's averaged a block a game for his career. And he's kind of got like that, he's bigger, but he's got like that P.J. Tucker kind of like husky body. You think the MLE gets him? I don't know, man. He, 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 looked, he looked like he can't play the four anymore in, in like the new NBA. So do teams look at him as like a starting power forward anymore? I don't no. know, man. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't I mean, think a bad team might. Yeah, maybe. And then, like, you know, who knows? Maybe he's, you know, if his buddy Horford tells him, like, stay the hell away from Philly. <laughs> I don't know. I know, you know, Elton's probably got a decent relationship with him or, you know, knows him a bit from his Hawks days. But just an interesting meme, like, as you brought that point off, like, I would be really open to that. And I think that would be an interesting offensive. I don't hate it. I just don't think he's – I don't think the money's going to work out. I don't think he's going to get paid a lot. You think but... he'll get more? I think he can do more. And, you know, I don't think they'll they'll have the room. Like, it may depend on what their roster situation looks like. But now that you brought him up, you, you know what team he would probably look great on, especially if he would made that transition? Boston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they're over the cap. That's, that's I mean, what I mean. I know their situation right now wouldn't really put them in any better position uh, than we are for that. But, like, once you once I mean, you brought that up, my yeah. first thought was, man, like, imagine if he went to Boston and worked as, well, you know, more of a, uh, you know, a, a big to still fit around that, like, you know, positionless kind of lineup. I think Boston, I mean, Boston's going to do something this summer, don't you think? I mean. Oh, no, we think that every year, and they Hayward. don't. So I'm kind of at the point where, I no, I don't. I think they're going to move Hayward. I think they're going to move Hayward. I just have a feeling that, you know, Tyson definitely was a great surprise for them. He's really good. Like, I got to hand it to him. But, you know, Bam kind of showed that, you know, they're, they're going to need more there if they're going to be a championship contender. So, you know, I was wondering if maybe they'd try to do something where they flip, like, Hayward and some stuff for um, uh, who's the, uh, the name? I'm trying to blank. From the Pacers um, Center. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, Turner. Yeah, 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 Miles Turner. Yeah, okay. Good job, Steve. <laughs> Some, something, something like that. I, you know, I don't know. And again, I don't know if that works for Indiana, but like, I, I could see them trying to get like a like an athletic center. Maybe you're right. Maybe Millsap is the type of guy that you know they would view in that role. The other, a couple, just the other like couple of quick centers, like Larry Nance Jr. I think would be awesome. He's making like 11 million in, in Cleveland. Um, it seems like they're going to pay Drummond, and they've got Kevin Love like tied up for the next 10 years. So. <laughs> You know, Larry Jr. is fun. I don't really know if he's. I don't really know if what he does wins you much, but he's fun. I'll give you that. I would like watching. I mean, him. I think he's like just a bouncy long guy that you know. If you're looking for someone to kind of be a second unit dive type, he's extended his range. I don't think he shot it great this year, but I think last year he had like decent average. And no, I'm not worried about his offense. I'd be worried about his defense. Yeah, I mean, I think you know he's overmatched against bigger centers. Um, Alex Len is a guy who had some really nice moments. This I like year Alex Len. I think, you know, he's really young still, and I think he could be had. And um, he, he gives effort. He can do some stuff on offense. He's definitely not a stiff. Like, that would be my biggest thing is, like, I just can't take any more, like, Greg Monroe, like, yeah. stiff. And that's what I mean. Um, I, re- I really hope that, that's, that that was more of a Brett thing and isn't a Doc thing. 
I agree. I agree. I, I do think for the tax MLA, you know, there's there's centers you can get that can move their feet, pass the ball, set screens, at a minimum can like keep your offense moving and provide like some defense. Um, you, you really don't have to pay a lot for that anymore. All right, Mario, the last question I have for you, we've talked about him a lot and he didn't come up in any of the conversations uh, when we mentioned any trades. So uh, I just want to get your thoughts on, I know we're all team Tobias guys, so I don't think any of us are looking to trade him. But even the people that are, I mean, I, I pretty much respond to any kind of talk about being like, there is no deal to move him. Do you see a world where there is a deal for him? And can you give us like an example or two of ways the Sixers get out of that? And the, I definitely don't think there's any way they deal him and get better, but a deal that doesn't seem like they absolutely just get robbed and are simply just dumping the contract. I don't, I, I, the team that I think could have some interest in him and, and talk themselves into it, but I don't know what the deal looks like would be Utah just because they can't really attract like those top free agents. And now that he's only got four years left versus five, I know it's, you know, more than like a four year max would be. I could see them like maybe talking themselves into it. The, the one call I would make if I was Elton um, for Tobias, and I, I'm almost certain this team would say no. But I would make it, and I would call Portland, and I would offer Tobias and Seibel for CJ, and I would see what what they said. And I I would I'd be stunned if they said yes, but and I think it's probably maybe even like a little overpay because I think CJ is like the guard version of Tobias, and that's like <laughs> both like a compliment and like a and like a negative, but right. would would obviously be a be a great fit for this team. Um, so I, I, that's the call I would make. I, I would fully expect, you know, um, I forget who the GM is now in Portland, but I would fully expect them to be like, no way. But but Portland does have like Trent. They do have Simon. I know Lillard and um, and uh, CJ are like pretty good buds, but I know like Carmelo had a pretty nice run with them this year. So, you know, maybe they look like, hey, let's we can get a decent scoring wing plus a young wing like, uh, like Seibel, who's from like the Pacific Northwest. I'm sure you feel like he was going home. Um, and I know that's something they were kind of missing this this uh, in these playoffs. So I'd make that call. Um, and actually, you know, I, if, if we could do that, I would love that. But I don't think Tobias is a problem. I don't think he's, like, as much of a solution as I, like, maybe had hoped he would be for this team in terms of, like, taking it up a level. But, you know, I don't think the Sixers' problems, like, begin with or end with Tobias. That's, that's my take. All right, Steve, you have anything else? Any thoughts, any questions for Marty? Today's the one-year anniversary of Ben Simmons making the three against a Chinese basketball team. That's I know it's a one-year anniversary, but it fe- feels like three years ago. Yeah, really. Um, oh, Dude, a lot remember, has changed. I, I, was, I wanted to I wanted to bring up. Remember how how happy we were in January? I met mm-hmm. up with a guy that think it was like my birthday. We we had some beers. We went to the Lakers game. It was like I think I think he's made like life. I think he's made like two more since then. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. All right, wild, man. Mar- Marty. It's uh, it's been fun. Uh, I, we we could definitely go a lot longer. There's a lot of things we didn't hit. Uh, maybe we can do this again now. That we you know you've got your setup, so um, we can definitely set that up. But it was good to. I feel like this is almost like at you know like a safe space Sixers therapy session that just it like. Was. Instead of kind of ramping, like we did it the same way the leagues did it, like fuck a preseason, fuck getting warmed up. Like we were just all for three months <laughs> yeah. and then we just went right to work. And, you know, I think I might have, you know, pulled a hamstring a the little bit. Norm, yeah, as they call it, right? Might have pulled a hammy a little bit, but uh, we got through yeah, it. Man, 
Um, Marty, it's, I, uh, it's always awesome talking to you. Really, really appreciate it. No, man, I missed you guys. I appreciate it. I hope you're both doing well personally. Um, Steve, I was telling you before we hopped on, man, those like food picks are just ridiculous. If you're not following Steve on Twitter uh, and you like to cook, you're missing out. Uh, I don't know much about sports, but food, sure. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely got the grilling <laughs> stuff down and the smoking stuff, dude. He had a uh, wait. What is it? At SW Jones eighty seven. Is that that's it? me? Yep, dude. He he smoked yeah. ribs. The uh, was it this past weekend? I Last weekend, yeah. Last weekend, dude. They were like, oh, like on par with with the ones we had in Texas. That were like the best ones of my life. Like right up there. Had the ribs. Had the pulled pork. Like like leaps and bounds from when he started. And and seriously, seriously good stuff. So. Uh, hopefully, you know, if we're ever able to do like another tailgate pod, if they, you know, ever open yeah. the stuff back up in, in the appropriate setting and after the appropriate amount of time and everything, uh, maybe we can also get some, uh, grilling action going on out there too and, and introduce everybody to, uh, Steve's meat. Yeah. We'll leave off on that one. Yeah. All right. So, Marty, thank you so much. Um, if you're not following Marty, I'm sure pretty much everybody is. We'll tag him in everything. Uh, it's just M.W. Teller, right? There's no numbers? No, that's it, man. Yeah, M.W. Kept Teller. Kept it straight. So, follow him. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to us. Follow us. All that stuff that we plugged at the beginning for Steve and Marty. I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody. And trust the podcast. Yeah.